0: Amen. You can be seated. Well, Good morning to you, you fantastic looking people, you. I don't know if anybody's told you that, but it is true. I mean, I'm looking out. I just, This is not an ugly church. That's a fantastic thing to be a part of. I just make it harder on all of us. So glad you're here. We'll get there. We'll get there. Before we get to Bibles... Um, Although I guess we could do Bibles while I do some announcements. We are going to use a Bible today, so if you want one, uh, need to use one, raise your hand. We will put a Bible in that hand. Announcements before we jump in. Uh, I have a lot of them, so bear with me, but I I will get through them as fast as I possibly can. But the one that I want to make sure that I heavily emphasize is that if you are new here, if this is your first time, we're so glad that you're here. And we'd like to help you plug into our church if that's something that you are interested in. So uh, we have a way of doing that by, we've got a little form in that bulletin, which is that paper thing that you were handed as you came in. And you can fill out your information and take it back to the back booth and trade it. We'll give you a a free gift for taking all those steps to get over there and to hand it in. And that way we can try to connect with you on on a more regular basis. Uh, Three more announcements that I want to do in chronological order. My tongue will work, I promise. February 6th is the first one. February 6th, the slide is up there. Financial peace. We're going to talk a little bit more about why this might be interesting to you in the message this morning, but God cares about how we use our money, and we want to use our money in a way that represents God well, and we don't want our money to control us. So if you are Uh, In any stage of life where you feel like one of those might be out of whack, this might be something that's helpful for you. You can sign up at the back info booth. It's a multi-week seminar about using your money in a more effective way for the kingdom of God. Secondly, uh, February 7th and 8th, save the date. Uh, We are doing a multi-church, which I'm very excited about. I love multi-church stuff. A multi-church marriage retreat. So a couple of different churches from the North Tahoe area are going to get together on February 7th and 8th. If that's something that you can do, I would encourage you to do that because if we did the financial piece thing and got the money thing nailed down and we get the marriage thing nailed down, we basically have everything nailed down. And that's a fantastic thing. If you want more information, you can uh, go to that web address right there. The interwebs is filled with all kinds of wonderful information. Finally, third announcement. On February 11th, during the time of Awana, that's a Tuesday night at 5.30, we are doing uh, a support group slash, um, uh, what's the right word for it? Um, a, A strengthening workshop. That's a great word. Who gave me that? Yeah! Gold star! Gold star! Uh, we're doing, we're doing a, a, multi-week, a multi-week series where some single parents, whether you're just a mom or just a dad, we realize that not every family looks the same around here, uh, and yet there's a unique component of difficulty that seems to pop up in a single-parent raising situation. We want to support you in that process. And so if, that, if you or somebody else uh, might be interested in that, just show up. No need to sign up. February 11th, get it in your calendar. Show up, be supported Enjoy that time. Lastly, Michael, Mike with a mic. Tell us what you
1: got to say, man. Check, check. Are we here? All right. Hey, guys. So I look out, and I think most of you, if not all of you, have either read, heard, learned, or even memorized Jeremiah 29.11. It's, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. An awesome verse commit to memory, but I think it gets even better if you continue reading. It says, then you will call upon me, and you will come and pray to me, and you will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. My name is Mike Harrison. A few years ago, we started uh, MAGS, which are men's accountability groups. This is a flyer that's on the back um, information booth there. This is for all you men out there. If you're out of high school, then you're, you're in. Okay, so these, these are small groups where we get together at various times, various places in the week, based on your specific schedule. So there's different groups. And the focus of those groups are based on uh, 2 Timothy 4.2, which says, Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So, men, this is for you guys. Now listen, the Word of God says that we are to do our best to present ourselves to him as one approved workman who do not need to be ashamed and who correctly handle the word of truth. And it says, and Paul also says in Ephesians, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Men, this is your opportunity. We need to get together. This, we can't do this alone. This is an awesome church. We love the teaching, the preaching, the shepherding on Sundays. But that's not enough. We need to get together. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So I challenge you guys, find me. My phone number's on here. Let's get you plugged into a group. I guarantee it'll change your life. Okay, now, to all of you, I encourage you to memorize scripture. It will change your life, I promise you. If you have any questions about that, I'd love to talk to you, share with you what God's doing in my life, and to show you how to do it. That's it. Thanks, Mike. I said
0: it first service, but I'll say it again. Yeah, you can clap for Mike. You'll notice that he didn't just, like, tell you to memorize Scripture. You'll notice, for those of you that have, like, been familiar with Scripture, like, more of his announcement was memorize Scripture than it was him talking. Yeah, the guy knows what he's doing. Okay, so get some help with that, because it actually does have a huge effect um, on your relationship with God. Final announcement for those of you that know me. Yes, I'm more dressed up today than I normally would be. No, there's no particular reason, except there's a woman in a white sweater back there that I'm trying to impress every once in a while. That's it. That being said, that's as much as I ever have embarrassed you from the front. You have to admit that. Okay, so uh, that being said, we are going to study Scripture this morning. So Hopefully you have that Bible. If you still need a Bible, I'm sure we could get you one. But other than that, uh, turn to Galatians 6 and let's stand together as we continue our series in Galatians and cover Galatians 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10 is what we're going to cover. Jesse, Jesse decided I needed a nice struggle and gave me about like four sermons worth of material to cover. We will do that. If I start speaking too fast, look at me and say, slow down, Okay. I'll do my best. Galatians 6, 1 through 10. It's on page 975 if you're using one of the church Bibles. Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. God, as we read this text, we realize that we need your spirit to inform us. We want to understand you better so that we can reflect you better. God, use this time for that purpose. Amen. You can be seated. So anytime you want to jump in and talk about a passage of Scripture, we have to recognize that one of the key concepts of understanding Scripture is making sure that you don't falsely believe that ideas are just kind of popping up willy-nilly, stream-of-consciousness style. Instead, there's a flow of thought that's going. And so if you want to try to inform the text that you're going to look at, you want to make sure that you clearly understand the text that came before it, because that then helps you understand what's going on in the text that is indeed what's going on here. We're not going to go super far back, because like I said, we got a lot of ground to cover today. But what I do want to do is look again at chapter 5, verse 25, because it informs how we're going to understand chapter 6, 1 through 10. Galatians 5, 25 says this, if, now that's a conditional word, right? For those of you that are not familiar with my speaking style, I'm not very secure with like me talking the whole time. So occasionally I will ask questions just to see if you're alive. And I just want you, I'll ask you easy questions. Don't worry. You probably won't be wrong and look foolish. Just answer back, okay? So so we'll try it again. Um, If is the first word. That's a conditional word, right? So much better. And I feel so loved. Thank you. (laughs) If. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. See, 525 becomes the guiding verse through which we have to look through or look at chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. And what Paul says there is that if, if, which is a conditional thing, so it may not necessarily apply to everyone in this room, but if, You have chosen to live by the Spirit, you need to, and I'm going to change the wording a little bit, you need to walk spiritually. Now I intentionally change that wording because we live in a culture, our unique area where we live, considers itself to be a very spiritual place. However, I want to be clear about the text this morning. That when we talk about walking by the Spirit and living spiritually, we find that it has nothing to do with incense or yoga or aligning your chi or whatever that... Did you need to see me? I took some tights. You're going to help me out, Sean. Walking in the Spirit is not some exclusively mystical experience with chanting and visions of angels providing special messages from God. There might be people in this room inclined to say, or there might be people with whom you will speak this week that might say, I'm spiritual, but I don't believe in being part of a church. Our message this morning, Paul's message to you, is a wake-up call. Now, I recognize that this is the definition of the phrase, preaching to the choir, right? Because though you are not the choir, although you did sound very fantastic, you don't just look good, you sound good. You're just a fantastic people. But... I know you're here, but I want to make sure that you understand why you're here. Because a lot of the things that we do and the way that the church gets together might cause you to believe a false idea. You may have heard me say this before. The church is not a spectator sport. Yeah, we do some music, and yeah, one person talks for a long period of time, and that might cause you to believe that your job is to sit in the stands, watch the whole thing happen, check the box, made my spiritual deposit for the week, and then go on with your life. Negative. That is not how it works. To walk by the Spirit requires us to engage in the body of believers, and without it, your spirituality, it's non-existent. Hug all the trees you want. Get your chi in as much alignment as you possibly can. But until you are integrated with the body of believers, you're not yet walking by the Spirit. Okay, I will. So then what does it look like to walk in the Spirit? Well, the text has a ton to say about it. The first thing, though, starts with just one word. And it serves as the launching pad upon which everything else will follow. What's the first word of verse 1? Brothers. Notice what other words could be there. Servants. Friends. Followers of Christ. All those things could be true. But Paul chose to use the word brothers. Now, this was written before a time where it became really important for people in culture to feel like you could say brothers and sisters. And if you have ESV, I think ESV does that type of thing, where it puts a little footnote and then you go down to the bottom and it it tells you that it could say brothers or sisters. This encapsulates, whether you want to use the word brothers or sisters, it encapsulates the idea that we are launching from a point of recognizing that those of us who are choosing to walk by the Spirit are family. 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 Which is a really interesting way of thinking about it. Because think about your life. For the most part, do you get to choose your family? No. No. It just kind of happens to you, right? For the most part. You don't get to pick it. And then you get to enjoy that which is your family in all of its glory at Thanksgiving and Christmas and all the other times when you feel like you need to tolerate them, right? But you didn't get to pick them. You know what else is like that? The church. I don't get to pick if you are a part of the family of God, which is probably a good thing, because in myself, I'm not a nice person, and I might not pick some of you. (laughs) Can we just be honest? This is a place where we can be honest, right? I hope so. Not not you guys. I meant that metaphorically. (laughs) Now the, the reality is one of the beautiful parts about the, about the church and the kingdom of God is that we don't get to pick it. People are not chosen to be a part of the church. And notice when I'm saying church and keep saying it through this passage, I'm not talking about those who go to Sierra Bible Church. I'm talking about those who are choosing to walk by the Spirit, have committed their lives to following Christ, and as a result, they are now part of the family of God. You don't get picked for that because you're pretty. You don't get picked for that because you're eloquent. You don't get picked for that because you have a certain amount of income, you drive a certain car, you're of a certain race, you live in a certain country. God does the picking according to his plan, according to his purposes, and the kingdom of God will gather together people that you might look at and be like, I'm not really sure I want that person to be my family, but they are. Like it or not, that's the way it is. And we have to start there. Because otherwise, the rest of this stuff, it's just stuff that we do. But if we recognize that this is stuff that we are doing as part of a family, a family of God that we didn't pick, but that God is picking and working through, that informs our understanding of how we address this stuff in our lives. After we're reminded that we're family, we are given our first instruction of what it looks like to walk by the Spirit. So what's being described here? There's an emphasis first in the wording here, if anyone should be overtaken, if anyone should be overcome. The wording in the text itself reminds us that every single one of the people, even those who are walking by the Spirit, might be subject to this. There's no certain, like, you don't get to a certain line in your Christianity that once you've crossed it, you're like, oh, finally. I'm not going to ever have to worry about this ever again. Nope. Nope. And we're going to see why. If anyone, could happen to anyone, gets overtaken or taken by surprise in a trespass. I want to pull that phrase apart. Taken or overtaken, the wording that's there is is used for one who not just, we're not just talking here about like a whoopsie doodle. You know what a whoopsie doodle is? No. It's surprising how many people are not familiar with the whoopsie doodle. A, wo- a whoopsie doodle is simply just the type of thing where everybody knows that it's wrong, but you just look at it and you're like, whoopsie doodle, and everybody else looks at him, whoopsie doodle, and you move on with life, right? You all know that you did wrong. Nobody cares. It doesn't strike anybody as specifically different. We're not talking about those types of things. What we're talking about is somebody whose sin and trespass, which we'll define in a moment, has become so consuming that the wording there is for one that is completely entangled in something, almost like they get stuck in a briar patch that grows completely around them, almost to the point where you can't see the person anymore. You just see the briar patch. And the person that's in this briar patch that's described in the text is in that briar patch, in that that tangled web of a trespass. And this word that's used there is, is used specifically for something or an action that causes you to fall away after being close beside something. And it's important that I point this out because this is distinguished from you having the responsibility of judging the outsider, those that don't walk in the spirit. Hear me carefully on what I'm about to tell you. It is not your job to go out those doors and tell the world how sinful they are. It's not your job to get out there and start pointing at everybody going, hey, you got to change that. Hey, that's not right. Hey, God wouldn't like that. Hey, you know what that makes you? Unpopular. I'm being being persecuted for Christ. No, you're a jerk, and no one likes you. And it's not your responsibility from the text to be doing that. The people whose trespass that we're addressing as a result of this text is a brother who has chosen to walk by the Spirit, but something has gotten in the way, and now they're completely entangled, and they need help. We're not talking about going out and pointing judgment fingers at the world. We're talking about pulling a spiritual machete and hacking away at this briar patch that has entangled our brothers and sisters. Who is it that has the responsibility, according to the text, of doing this hacking, of helping this person in the briar patch? Who is it? Those who are what? those who are spiritual, those who are of the Spirit, it says. Now, according to verse 5, remember, we're letting the previous text inform the text. Do you remember what the fruit of the Spirit was? Go ahead and start shouting them out. Love, patience, patience, gentleness, all these good things. Did you notice what wasn't in that passage? that at some point you get to don your super-duper spiritual cape and be super Christian, and you're going to be the hero that saves the world. No. Those who are spiritual, according to the text, they're just those in whom God has been working and bringing about his fruit. Dare I say, many of you in this room, this would describe you, that you are seeking God, and you don't have it all together and that's not a requirement for you to be able to be of service to your brother or sister that is now so entangled. However, this comes with a, a method that we need to do this, and a warning: we are going to do this with gentleness, and we need to what else? Watch yourself. Watch yourself. Right? I like that Mavis got to say that it sounded that way in my head. Watch yourself. We're going to do it with gentleness. uh, One of the words that I like to translate this word with that I think fits it better, it's just kind of fallen from use in our society, is the word meekness. Meekness is not the whimpering, cowering thing you might think it is. Meekness instead is strength that is under restraint. When you are joining with God in, in the saving mission of helping people entrapped in their sin, you need to do it with the power of God coursing through your veins, and that can happen as you align yourself with the Spirit. It's strength restrained, because what, what it's not obviously going to look like is grabbing somebody by the collar, saying, you said you, you were going to follow Jesus, and you're... It's probably not going to go very well for you that way it might. There are a few people that need it that way. So just hit softly. But the reality is, most people are going to need it in a very gentle, meek, strength-restrained type of way. And it's easy to think about restraining your strength when you realize that the warning is that you got to watch yourself. Now, as I meditated on this portion of the text, and I thought about Watch out, because you might fall to temptation yourself. Uh, what, at least in my experience, has not been the case is that I've fallen into the sin that I'm helping somebody with. Though that could happen, it's not really ha- it really hasn't been my experience. Instead, what may happen or may more likely happen is that you might fall prey to some type of sin of inaccuracy of thinking that you are actually more strong or more great or are more special than the person that you're helping. Not realizing that Jesus died for both you, the helper, and the one who needs the help. And that neither of you, repeated, neither of you were capable of doing it without the power of Jesus. That's the care that it seems that we most need to take. That we most need to take. But our responsibility towards one another extends beyond helping one another with just our sinful entanglements. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 here. In verse 2, we read, The burdens of one another, we need to be carrying them. And in this way, we will fulfill the law of Christ. You see, we see what it means to follow Christ by carrying the burdens of another. Christ carried not just our burden of sin, but he also carries our daily needs. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our what? Daily bread. He's involved on a day-to-day basis, helping us with the individual things that we need. And for us to carry the burdens of one another is what it means to follow Christ. I love verse 3. Though, because it provides explanation on verse 2. The first word there is for, which means it's providing some explanation. We're, We're enlightening our idea of the way of fulfilling the law of Christ is carrying somebody else's burdens. For if anyone thinks that they are something being nothing, they deceive themselves. And the word there for deceive... Is, uh, carries the idea of this person is operating within a warped sense of reality. Hear me carefully on this. If you think, if we think, and I'm going to try to use we as much as I possibly can because I'm in the same boat. If we think that we are operating within the will of Christ, but we fail to help carry the burdens of our spiritual family, We're living in a fantasy world. You're not walking with the Spirit. Walking with the Spirit entails being like our Master Jesus Christ, which then means naturally that we will be carrying the burdens of others. At this point, I want to stop for just a second and try to look at this practically. What does it mean to bear others' burdens? Let me illustrate it for you, and then I'll pull apart what we find from that illustration. Uh, A little bit ago, my wife and I went on vacation. Vacation didn't necessarily work out its way that we had hoped for, but it wasn't terrible. It was still a good thing, but we came home a little bit early. And as we come home, we walk onto the kitchen floor, and as I'm stepping on my cheapo vinyl wood-looking-like material that's my kitchen floor i'm stepping on it and water is gushing up in between the planks now i don't know if you're familiar with flooring typically it's not supposed to have water gushing through its seams okay uh why is water gushing through i don't don't understand so we start investigating we find that there's a little bit of a leak underneath the sink But the bottom of the cabinet's dry where it was leaking. So we're, well, I mean, maybe that's what it is. Maybe we spilled something on it. I'm not really sure. Well, that same day, I wanted to try to enhance my manliness quotient. So I decided I was going to build some shelves in the garage. So I go into the garage. And as I'm clearing stuff out of the way to be able to build the shelves, I look down and there's an ice rink on my floor. I had not installed an ice rink in my garage. And so... I looked where the ice rink was and looked up and noticed that my kitchen was above where the ice rink was, and I looked at the drywall, and I put my hand on the drywall, and my hand went, I don't know if you're familiar with drywall. It's not supposed to do that. That would seem to indicate a major problem. The frozen waterfall coming out the exterior of my house reiterated that problem. Yes, we had a major leak that had been going on for anywhere from six months to a year, and it turned a corner of my house, both the upper and the lower floor, into a mold factory, which is fantastic when you have a wife that's prone to lung disease. So we, we were in a special spot. Fun! It's God's house anyway. Don't worry about it too much. But the point of this, the reason why I tell you about this, is that I, uh, our family meets together with some other families on a somewhat regular basis to study the Word and to listen to one another and to pray with one another. And as, as we were telling them, hey, this is just what's going on in my life, they were listening to us. But the listening didn't just stop with the, oh, gee, that that stinks that that's happening to you. We have never had as many dinner invitations that we've had in our entire life, which I've decided as a result I need to be a little bit nicer because all my friends are really good cooks. But instead, we got to hang out with a lot of people. Some of them are in this room, and I won't point them out to embarrass them. But what they figured out was, hey, the beers have got a problem. Is there anything that we can do to help them with this? And they fed us. Because us making food in my mold factory would have been a bad decision for us. And instead, they bore our burden with us. Now, what do we learn from this what do we learn we learn that if we are going to bear the burdens of one another we must know pray and listen here's what i mean by this first you have to be in relationships with people in the church if you're going to be able to bear their burdens this might seem like it's it's not strange it's not it's just something that we're not good at doing right I'm not sure I want to go talk to that person over there. You don't get to pick your family. Sorry. If you're a part of the church, you've got to be in relationship with one another. And you've got to be in a relationship that's more than just, wow, it's raining. Yeah, it is. All right, see you next week. Right? Because that's what we're prone to doing. At least that's what I'm prone to doing. We have to know one another inside the church. And then... From that knowledge of one another, we need to be speaking to God about those relationships and asking for opportunities to bear their burdens. We know and then we pray to God about those opportunities and then we listen. You never really know where the, where the response is going to come from. Sometimes it's going to be because the people that knew us were just listening to us telling the story. They listened and they acted. Sometimes God just plants these funky ideas in your head and you don't know why. I don't know if you've ever heard of this or this has happened to you before. Like we've been in spots before where God just like planted in our head, like, hey, you need to write a check for like $400 to this person. Like, what? So then I verify. I go to my wife. Hey, I'm feeling like we're supposed to write a check for like 400 bucks to these people. And she's like, I'm feeling the same thing. Whoa, guess we better do it. And then you hand them? Why 400? Why? Why not 300? Why 500? Right? And then you, you hand them the money, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, we had this bill for 400 dollars that we couldn't pay." Is that magic? Is it coincidence? It's God, right? What's that famous quote? "I don't know if God answers prayer or if it's just coincidence, but whenever I pray, coincidences seem to happen. God will speak as we continue to ask Him, how can we be involved? We know them, we pray for them, and we listen. That's what it looks like to bear one another's burdens. But we've got more text to cover here. Our care for others is part of a larger personal responsibility. Look at verses four and five. But instead, The emphasis here becomes very individual. His own work, let each one scrutinize or examine, and then unto himself alone, he'll have grounds for boasting and not to another. With this linguistic emphasis on the individual's responsibility, we realize that verse five, again, is explaining verse four, same type of grammatical structure. Four, four, we get the explanation of four. For each, his own load, for each one, each person, his own load, he will need to bear. Now, you'll notice that verse 5 and verse 2 are pretty similar in terms of the bearing and burdens and things like that, but the words are different. The, the word in verse 2 describes the type of burden that people are not capable of carrying on their own. It's something that they did not anticipate, something unwieldy, like we talked about that briar patch type of circumstance, whereas the word in verse 5 is probably the, the idea that would carry it best would be cargo that you could anticipate. That what we're talking about in verse 4 and 5 is that each of us has a unique skill set and set of circumstances that God has orchestrated to allow us to have a unique responsibility in furthering the kingdom of God. The good news is that it's a manageable responsibility, but it is uniquely ours. It's uniquely yours. What's fun is that in the bigger picture, you often will find that the community of believers are needed to help us identify and invest in our own individual calling. And this is simply the process by which you've often heard us refer to discipleship, make disciples, where as a community, we gather together trying to figure out how to best enable you to live out your unique calling, your own load, your cargo that you need to carry. And as we walk in the Spirit, our unique calling and caring for others is not just to care for those that are falling behind, but also for those that are leading the way. Did you notice verse 6? Verse 6. Let the one who is being taught the word share all good things with the one who is teaching. I'm really glad that I get to be the one that, that teaches this verse to you. Because I, in literally 0%, have any interest in you paying me money for the service that I'm providing you today. I already have a job. Got a job, pays me enough to feed my kids, pays me enough to fix my mold factory of a kitchen. I've got enough. I'm okay. I don't need your money. However, let's look at what the text actually says, because this has a, this has a way. Are you guys laughing at me? You're only supposed to laugh at times when I make jokes. You don't get to laugh like random. We're going to need to separate the two of you. Yeah, this isn't enough separation. (laughs) Looking again at verse 6, it says... That those who are being taught the word are to have fellowship or partnership, or another way of translating this idea would be to make another's necessity my own. And we're going to do this by sharing all good things, which includes money, time, and services. And because churches have a tendency sometimes to get themselves in trouble and to somehow formulate the wrong opinion in people's minds about money, I wrote out how I wanted to say an explanation of this verse to you. So I'm just going to read so that I don't end up saying something foolish. You all are blessed to be a part of a church where your leadership places no condemnation on you if you choose not to give. We've left it up to you. It's in your own heart how you will show yourself faithful to God with your resources. But that being said, we would not be your faithful leaders without teaching you the scriptures that clearly state your responsibility to give to your church body, to give to your leaders, and to give generously. Not because we want to buy more stuff. Not because we want to live richly but because your giving becomes the conduit of God's grace in his church and in its leadership. Friends, the Bible talks a whole lot about money. And this passage is not necessarily just about money, but it's interesting how money becomes part of a conversation of how to walk in the Spirit as we interact with one another in the church. And I hope that it is abundantly clear to you that you are aware that your money isn't yours. Not yours. You get to hold on to it. You're a steward. And by stewardship, what I mean is that it's being given to you to see what are you going to do with it? And I hope that you know that Scripture is abundantly clear that God is evaluating how we use our money and how that aligns with what we're saying we're doing in our relationship with God. Friends, our money is another way of bringing glory to God. And I hope that you recognize that as being part of the church and walking in the Spirit, it goes not just to the way that we treat one another and talk to one another, but even the way that we use our finances and the way that we take care of our leaders. The way that Paul illustrates this is by using an analogy that's fairly commonly used in Scripture of sowing and reaping. Did you see that in verses 7 and 8? Sowing and reaping come from an agricultural idea And I know that most of us in here are not farmers, but it's a pretty simple idea to get. The the idea is basically this. You harvest that which you plant. That's it. You harvest that which you plant. Simple idea. So let's think about this. If you planted one row of corn, how much would you get? So most of you where it said one row of corn, and I'm not going to make you feel foolish, but Al Salas got the right answer in the first service. He said, you get three ears of corn. Because I don't know if any of you tried to plant anything. If you come over and see my garden, I plant a whole garden bed, and I get two tomatoes and a sprig of parsley. That's what I get. Okay? You plant one (laughs) row of corn, you'll get a little bit of corn. That's the point. Okay? You get a little bit of corn. But if you plant a cornfield. You join in the process of helping to feed a nation. You harvest that which you plant. Look again at this text, especially verse 8. The one who sows unto his own flesh, all he's going to get back is death. But the one who's sowing unto the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. All of us, all of us want eternal life. Not an average day-to-day, but the good life. And we're not talking here in this text about earning salvation. What we're talking about is the quality of a spiritual life that's well-lived. I try not to jump around too much into other texts, but I do want to show you one other passage of Scripture real quickly. Go over to John 17. John 17, if you're using one of the church Bibles, is on page 903. And in John 17, what we find there is what's commonly referred to as the high priestly prayer. Jesus knows that he's about to die on the cross bearing the sins of all past, present, and future humanity. And these are his words to his father in preparation for that. I want you to focus in on verse 3. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and the Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The reason why I'm sharing this verse with you is because sometimes when we hear the phrase eternal life, we have a tendency of thinking about living forever in heaven. But you'll notice that when Jesus is talking about eternal life in this passage, he's not talking about where you will go, he's talking about who you will know. And I say it when that, with that rhyme so that hopefully that idea will come into your head that the concept of eternal life is not about where you go but who you know. And as you get to know the Father and as you get to know how the Father was revealed in Jesus Christ, the quality of life that is referred to as eternal life is not something for later. It's for now. The kingdom of God is not something just for later. It is for now. Are you aware that God is currently working in this universe? He's currently orchestrating things within this globe. And we might look at it and be like, that seems like a completely terrible play. And yet we're not seeing a big enough picture to understand that God is not waiting to have the victory. He's already winning. He's just the master of the long game. Eternal life is something that we can sow to now and harvest now. This basic principle then gets displayed in the text, understanding that our experience of walking in the Spirit is a direct reflection of our investments. You might have found yourself asking these questions or heard other people ask the question, why am I not growing? Why do I not feel like God is working in my life? Why is God not answering my prayers? Friends, there could be a variety of reasons for that, and I don't want to minimize and say that there's only one thing, that it's all your fault. However, this text would have us examine our own hearts and ask, be honest, are we walking in the Spirit according to what's displayed here? Are we caring for others? Are we living our calling? Are we blessing our leaders? And then to encapsulate the idea, Paul gives us verses 9 and 10 that walking in the Spirit is caring for others and living our calling and blessing our leaders and proactively spreading goodness, especially within the church. Do you want to see a harvest? Do you want to experience God's working in your midst? Do you want to see God answer prayer, work miracles, heal hearts, restore families, save the lost? Then join with Him. I like in this process of joining with Him, Paul describes that we must proactively do good, but he says, do not grow weary, recognizing the reality that this is not simple, it's not easy. I know that the majority of you are like me and tomorrow starts a work week where you're surrounded by a bunch of people that don't give a rip about Jesus. And that makes it difficult sometimes. Shoot, even in your own homes, there's stay-at-home moms. If you've got to face my kids, that's harder than me going to work. Sometimes trying to live for Christ makes us weary, doesn't it? I think it's okay to be honest about that. It's not simple. That's why we need the power of the Spirit to do it, because otherwise, we'd be, we'd be lost. I mean, I was just sharing with Brad Nola. He and I were talking a couple weeks ago, and I was talking about how there are times where, like, I'll get into, like, a couple-day funk of depression, And it's not necessarily because there's anything inherently going wrong with my life, but because of my line of work, I have a tendency to interact with basically the core of human depravity at its lowest. I see things that are broken every day. And a lot of the times, the hardest part about it is not just seeing the things that are broken, but knowing what could fix it and knowing that that person won't take what will fix it. That hurts. And I grow weary of dealing with it. But, as I've been growing in my relationship with God, as I've been trying to walk in the Spirit, God has taught me that during those days when I'm feeling that, when I'm feeling like, God, I just don't understand why this world is so filled with problems, I hear God say, relax, man. They're not your problems to deal with. They're mine. I can do this. Calm down. Not your responsibility to fix everything. Take the next step. That's it. Like Bob says, baby steps, right? Baby steps, go to work. Baby steps, talk to this person. Do you know what I'm talking about? What about Bob? Homework. Okay. Homework. Let us not grow weary in recognizing that if we are going to walk with the Spirit, it means that we are caring for others, that we are living our calling, that we are blessing our leaders, and we are proactively spreading goodness. As the band comes up, as we prepare to respond, I want to be clear as I close. I have not been sharing this text with you simply to amp you up. I haven't been sharing this text with you to try to make something happen. Get out there and get it done for Jesus. This is not some political rally This is not an activist gathering. It's none of those things. But the creator and sustainer of the universe has invited you into his inner circle, the inner circle of his kingdom. And he is at work in ways that are colossal and at times even imperceptible. He invites you to keep in step with his own spirit, to care for others, to engage in your calling, to bolster your leaders, and to wage war with proactive goodness. If you would know the rich quality of eternal life now, then Paul would tell us we need to walk by the Spirit. God, in response to this, we recognize that it is only by your power that we can continue to do anything even close to this. And so we beg for it, that you would show yourself mighty to work in our lives, that we might be able to walk in step with your spirit. Amen.